Hello, it's Robert Bathurst here. I was one of the first guests on My Time Capsule, and Mike has asked me to tell you that you can now listen to the podcast ad-free by subscribing to Acast Plus. Details of how to join are in the description of each episode. Mike says it's very reasonably priced. In fact, Mike says it's a bargain. And who am I to disagree? Locked here in his cellar. Anyway, for a small subscription, Acast Plus, My Time Capsule, ad-free. Free. Unlike me. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello there, and welcome to my time capsule. I'm Mike Fenton-Stevens, and this is the podcast where I ask my guests to tell me the five things from their life that they would pick to preserve in a time capsule. They can choose four things that they cherish, but they also have to choose one thing that they would like to get rid of, something they want to bury in the ground and never have to think about again. My guest in this episode is the highly successful stand-up comedian Reese James, well known for being a panelist on Mock the Week. Reese has been performing stand-up at the Edinburgh Festival and all over the world since he was a student at Manchester University back in 2010, and he's just completed the first leg of his latest tour, the Snitch Tour. He has his own podcast called Early Work about performers' adolescent creative writing and often appears on the YouTube channels Football Republic and Spurred On about his favourite football team, Tottenham. No, Spurs. Spurred On, you see. Right, OK, so let's find out what Rhys James would like to take from his life and keep safe in a time capsule. We might as well start, I think. Sure, yeah, I'm ready. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah we talk about five things that you've chosen to put into a time capsule. So uh, where do you want to start? Well, I suppose I didn't find this that easy, actually. Maybe a lack of sentimentality or... I mean, actually, I, I feel I am quite sentimental. I just find it hard to be earnest. <laughs> so this is where this was trouble. Like, to tell you what was easy is coming up with things I want to get rid of. <laughs> Genuinely, I've got about 50 of them. Right. Um, and I, have, I still haven't decided which one I'm going to actually banish from the world. But the bit of going, me talking about, oh, I really like this, mm. and it not just being like some ironic thing. I don't know why I find that so difficult, but I have for years since doing comedy. I don't know. It's like chicken and egg. Did I do comedy because I couldn't be earnest or since doing comedy, am I now not able to be earnest? I don't know which one it is, but um, I mean, clearly I need therapy. <laughs> okay, this is it. Here we go. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Here we go, Michael. Thank you. So what I'm going to start with putting in, and you'll notice that now I've said this, that like th- these are not particularly sentimental things, but um, the most recent episode of this show that I listened to was the one with Lee Mack. Mm. And the first thing he puts in, I think, is a dartboard 
and a set of darts, yeah. which made me realise, oh, right, it doesn't have to be something you're like, I mean, there's, yeah, so it can just be a dartboard, it doesn't need to be this specific dart that I threw in this moment <laughs> no. that means this. The yeah, one yeah. that was touched by my long dead uncle, yes. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Um, how long is this, uncle? Uh, yeah, I will put in, I mean, this is a bit of a cheat, but there is a reason I'm grouping them, which is a tennis racket and obviously tennis ball and a deck of cards as one, if that's allowed. It is allowed, yes. If you associate them together, absolutely, yeah. But why? I associate them together in, in a moment. That It's not a mad game I've invented. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've won a team Wimbledon like that. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. 40 love, snap! <laughs> He's got a full house. Um, so the reason is that these are two things that I think essentially got me through lockdown. Mm. These are things that lifted me out of... Um, well, potential huge breakdowns and, you know, the emotional turmoil and all that sort of stuff and boredom, <laughs> frankly. Yeah. So tennis, I'll start with, because tennis actually weirdly does have an emotional connection to me in that I've always been interested in tennis. My whole family, I've always been interested in tennis. No one's amazing in my family at tennis. It's nothing like that. It's just everyone has liked it. Everyone's like watching it, went to watch it when I was younger, went to Wimbledon as like one of my early you're free to go on trips as a teenager without supervision type things. Wow. Went to Wimbledon. Um, that's the sort of middle-class upbringing I had. Um, <laughs> finally, I'm free. Where shall I go? Well, let me put on a suit and tie and get to centre court. <laughs> oh, I love strawberries and cream. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wasn't smoking weed in the park. I was having a Pims on Henman Hill. Um, but we did play as a family. My grandparents are kind of like their garden, like backed onto some tennis courts. So they played, my mum was like a ball girl at Wimbledon when she was like nine or like a flower girl or something like that. Mm. And, uh, so everyone's always been interested. My family have always been pretty good. Yeah. Whereas I wasn't. And this manifested itself when we were playing tennis on holiday once as a four, mm. as like playing doubles and everyone was just able to, and I'm the youngest. Oh, and no. I was tiny. My whole childhood, I was tiny. So I was like smaller than everyone. So like, I've sort of talked, I have the, in a show I'm doing at the moment, I sort of talk about this, that in every school year, there's three or four boys who are much smaller than everyone else. Yeah. And I was one of those boys, like smaller than most of the girls as well, who are just the small boys, late bloomers, etc. I was one of those. Now, my brother is six foot three. The rest of my family are all relatively athletic and just good. At, they're able to rally. They're able to hit good tennis shots. They could all serve, etc. Not only am I small, I'm having to use a sort of kid's racket at like <laughs> 14 because it's much lighter. I am tiny and have tiny stick thin arms. Uh -huh. So I can't get the ball over the net. And it is literally, it's just like they rally. It comes to me. I ruin it kind of thing. And I was just getting so frustrated by it that I think at 14, which is too old to do this, it might even have been 15, I... I actually had a full tantrum and cried about it on holiday, right? And I, on the tennis court and I, it was in tears. And now this meant that I basically was like, well, I'll never play tennis again. And that's it. I'm hanging up my racket. And I did this with sport at school a lot. I was very quick to try everything mm. throughout my childhood and very quick to quit everything. Right. The moment I wasn't just great at it instantly, just got rid of it. One of my biggest regrets is that I did... I, I learned the guitar when I was nine for a year and then I stopped. Uh. I was like, what are you doing? You started at nine. That's when you start. If you are now a famous guitarist, yeah. if you're now like a great, you started at nine. And it's so easy now. All of a sudden, it's just easy. Just pick it up, play it. But thank God I'm not that guy at a party who's brought the guitar. <laughs> at least I can look back on that and go, oh, I could be that right now. I could be that. Yeah, but as a quitter, you went into comedy. Yeah. That's extraordinary, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, 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 exactly. Well, that's the, that's why comedy has stuck, because it's the only thing I never had an urge to quit. 
Also, the moment I did it, the first gig was was really good. Mm. I mean, if it hadn't been, who knows? I mean, I was such a quitter that I would like, I would get all the gear as well. Everything I did, it would be like, right, well, I need a full kit. I need to spend all this money getting all of this stuff, mum and dad. Yeah. They buy it. I go once and go, ah, can't be bothered. <laughs> um, especially if anything involved like in the morning, like football. You know, I played for various different football teams because I would quit and then go, ah, oh, but everyone plays football. I should play football. Mm. And then I would get all the kit for the new club, spend all this money, get a new boots, like, be on the bench once or like a fixtures on a Sunday morning. And I'm just like, ah, oh, I can't really be bothered to get up. So no, it's over. I'm done. Yeah. I just won't be that. And comedy was the first one. First of all, it's at night, which helps. <laughs> um, and secondly, um, it just went well the first time. And then I was like, well, I'll keep doing that forever, I guess. And it obviously has gone badly since. But as long as the first one's good, I think you just go. I can get back to that eventually. You look taller on stage as well. That's good. Yeah, exactly. You're famously, you're very much higher up. Yeah. <laughs> but I do have to use a children's microphone, of course, because the, the adult mic is too heavy. I'm afraid that we haven't got any stands that small. I'll put it on a chair for you. Yeah, exactly. Um, but in lockdown, I was like, well, tennis was one of the first sports you're allowed to do. There's not contact. It's not mm-hmm. supposed to be a contact sport. It depends how much of a tantrum you have, I suppose. But <laughs> I uh, started playing. There was some tennis courts where I lived at the time. There was some tennis courts right next to my house. And I started just like playing with mates a couple of times. And I was like, okay, this is all right. Mm. I'm not absolutely awful. I can get the ball over the net and I can rally. And then I had a few lessons and then I became really good. And now I'm good. <laughs> I'm good at tennis. And now I'm like, I have like very competitive matches against decent players and win and I'm hitting the right kind of shots. And it's all clearly just a sort of avenging my tears on that holiday. Like the the amount of money that has now been invested in tennis for me. At the time, I was renting a house in quite a um, posh area of London Mm. and having expensive tennis lessons in a lockdown where I wasn't making any money because I was so (laughs) clearly just going, no, no. I will have to play my family again. Yes, I've waited until they're in their 60s, but now I will do this. Also, the tennis is great because I turned 30 this year and tennis is such a great sport to play in your 30s because you only need one friend. And that's basically all you have knocking about. So yeah, true. it's really, I don't need to like get a group of people who've now got babies to arrive. Like 11 aside football, I've got to get 20 people together. <laughs> that's true. Are you insane? So <laughs> tennis is perfect. One mate available for two hours. That's all you need. And so tennis has to be in there because it represents a pivotal moment, I think, in my childhood of being like, I mean, kind of a breaking point of, Reese. get a grip when mm. I'm about 15. Of like, what are you doing? A thing that's still talked about by my family. And then a, okay, I will actually put in some hard work now. I had never done hard work until comedy, which I would still argue isn't hard work. <laughs> no. But there have been moments of hard work within the 10, 12 years I've been doing comedy. So that, I would say, because I've now learned, sometimes you do have to commit to things. Mm-hmm. Particularly, actually, comedy really teaches about committing to things. Not only because, you know, you've got to go... 400 miles away for a five minute spot for no money and then sleep in a train station etc but also committing to a bit committing to a joke that isn't working because you know that it's got a payoff at the end etc yeah so actually going manifesting itself in me going i will have tennis lessons consistently i doesn't matter how bad i am and me going to a tennis coach i could not be less precious if you just say start again everything you're doing is wrong you do not need to sugarcoat this now I have learned resilience. I have a thick skin now. If you're getting the kind of tweets I'm getting every day, you get a thick skin. Okay. So I now you can slag off my tennis all you want. That was useful. The worst day was when he went, oh, I looked up some of your comedy yesterday, my tennis teacher. And then he was talking to me about that. And I was like, oh God, let's just focus on the serve, shall we? Please leave that alone. Yeah. So the important question is, have you got that foursome back together again and made them cry? (laughs) 
Well, you've seen right through me there, Mike. <laughs> you've seen exactly what I was going for all along. Make them cry. I haven't yet, actually. I think my dad would say, oh, no, I've not got the ankle to play tennis these days. Oh. I don't know how interested my mum would be. And it has been building up to playing my brother. My brother is very good at tennis. Mm-hmm. And it has always been building up to, okay, well, I'll play my brother. And I haven't yet done it. Because just as I felt, okay, I'm basically almost good enough to think that I won't just get battered and cry again. <laughs> also, he doesn't play, but he's just like, he's such an enigma to me in tennis where I'm like, I don't know how good he is. So I've not seen him play for so long. So like, am I just misremembering it or is he actually quality? And am I still going to not win? Because I don't know about the tactics, maybe. And he's still six foot three. Yeah, so I'm not lobbing him. No. So I've got to deal with that. And then he had a baby. You're going to win. Is he really? No, you're going to win. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's exhausted. Be <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's what I'll do. Yeah, can we play at 10 p.m.? Is that all right? That's what I'll do, yeah. He'll say, what about four in the morning? Yeah, 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 exactly, yeah. Um, so, no, it hasn't happened yet. I'll keep you updated. It should be televised. We should put it out. <laughs> yeah. Why have you chosen a pack of cards as well? Well, so this is another thing. So one of the things that really got me through lockdown in a major way is that I set up, and it went for a whole year, longer than a year, every week, a weekly Tuesday night comedians poker game. And we played with a group of about, there's probably about 25 comics in this group. Mm-hmm. And probably between seven and 15 play every week. Wow. So it's now got known as Two Table Tuesdays because we got it to a point where you could only have nine per table. Mm. So like it's on an app. So it's on PokerStars, which is just like software. And then we're on Zoom. And then so you just have like the Zoom where we're all like bantering and chatting. And it really felt like just being around a poker table with a bunch of mates, which is something that I also did throughout my childhood um, (laughs) before we were allowed to go in pubs and stuff at 16. I mean, we weren't technically allowed to be gambling, but just like we would just when I was younger, we would go to a mate's house all pay a fiver in kind of the winner gets all the money in. But we're just really just like drinking a few beers at a mate's house playing cards and Mm. it's a laugh. And it's always like I think it's one of the things that's represented the best in fiction is this scene that happens in things of like a group of guys or just a group of friends playing poker around a table. If you haven't done that, it must look so insanely unrealistic. The way the banter happens and the way people talk to each other and the way the cards sort of like are in the background. But this is exactly my experience of it. So whenever I watch that, I'm like, yeah, that's exactly how it feels. It was like the only Zoom thing I did throughout lockdown. You know, you had the quizzes, you had like family chats or whatever. You had all this sort of stuff. Yeah. This was the only one that really worked and that everyone wanted to come back to every week. Because if there was a silence, which there wasn't because there's 15 comedians on a Zoom, (laughs) um, it was more difficult to get a word in. But if there was, it doesn't matter because you're doing something. You're playing cards and that can be quiet at times. But the running jokes that came out of this, the way it manifested itself was, um, you know, it became like a sitcom because the same characters would be there each week. Everyone had their kind of catchphrases by the end of it. Mm. Everyone had styles of play. Everyone was a certain level of good. This didn't change. There's a league table that comes with it automatically on the app. So everyone got to see that. Everyone played tactically, but also we were getting more and more drunk. So people started doing incredibly reckless things. (laughs) Um, Table two, uh, when we played the second, so often we played like three games a night. So the first game would go on for a couple of hours. Mm. Then we changed the format to be a bit quicker and stuff. And uh, quite often we're quite hammered by that. So for quite a few weeks in a row, that became tops off table two, which meant that just for the most part, a group of lads just sat there on a Zoom playing poker with their tops off for no reason. But that's just the way way it went. And uh, the glory days are like a proper night out when you're getting genuinely hammered and you're having a great time with mates, but you were able to do that through a lockdown. And I just don't know how I'd have done that without poker being in the background. I'm not advocating gambling, but gambling is fun. Yeah. Don't gamble, it's bad. Although it is fun, which is what all gambling adverts are. They 
just go, don't do this. It's really bad. It's a huge risk, but it's a risk worth taking because it's a huge laugh. And that's essentially what I'm saying. They always say gamble wisely. What does that mean? Everybody thinks they're gambling wisely. Yeah, that's the whole point of gambling. I'm going to put 10 grand on this horse that's never won anything to win. Because if I win, I'll win a million pounds. To me, that's wise. That's so wise. It's much wiser than I can see the money. million pounds at the end of it. That's the point. Who'd want to double their money? That's pathetic. <laughs> get, at least quadruple it. Yeah, and so the way we did this, just in terms of pure gambling thing, is that it was, it was £10 in. It was mm-hmm. £10 to play. And you could rebuy if you got knocked out for the first hour and all these sorts of boring yeah. rules. So if you don't win anything, you can have nights where you lose 60 quid or something if you play three tournaments. But it's only 60 quid. I mean, it's not. Well, if you go out in London and go to a club or something, you're going to spend that almost on the first round of drinks, aren't you? So it was just like a really fun thing. And that has, as I say, has been, again, like tennis, has been there throughout my childhood and and upbringing. Well, not upbringing, really. My parents (laughs) didn't tell me to play poker. Um, In fact, there was once where I um, tried to set up a casino in my house where I said to my friends at school one day, it was like a half day at school and I would have been genuinely 12, I think. Mm. And I was like, right, I'm going to do this casino in my house uh, when we leave at lunchtime. I'll like make a roulette wheel out of paper. We'll play blackjack. You know, you can play (laughs) poker, et cetera. It's one quid to enter my house or something like that. And then I sort of like got home, told my parents, some friends are going to come around in a bit and we're going to do this casino thing. And then they were like, you absolutely cannot do that. You certainly can't charge entry into our house. That is insane. And so it got, you know, nipped in the bud pretty quick. But going around friends' houses, playing poker, people coming around mine, playing poker. Um, We used to do that on birthdays and stuff, 15, 16. And the difference to tennis is that I was always the best. Ah. So I am really good at it. So I then actually played, I did a few like live streams of me playing cards because I decided I was not really doing anything. Saw some people using Twitch and doing live stream stuff. I was like, oh, well, I play cards in my spare time on this app. So I could just show my screen yeah. on a bit of a delay so no one could just see my cards. And then I'll just stream that. And then the idea was I, I moved house and I needed a new sofa. And I just sort of like created this thing where the sofa I wanted was £5,000. So I was trying to get from 100 to £5,000. <laughs> and... It was always meant to be like, give it a narrative so that it takes a while so people can follow it and I can like go down and then I'll go up and all this sort of stuff. Mm. And then I completed it in three weeks. Oh my God. In three weeks. So I won a tournament almost immediately for two and a half thousand pounds. You don't need to work. Yeah, that's one of the most exciting moments of my life. And I was just sat there just playing this tournament and then I got to the last table and I went on a stream to show the last table and I came first in it and it was a tournament this is a public tournament not with my mates it was £30 to enter and I won £2,500 I think doing that now I'm not again I'm not saying do this I had studied poker and I understand what to do and got massively lucky several times Mm. I spend a lot of my time watching poker when they used to televise it I find it so relaxing watching poker it's so slow and I do understand it and then watching experts like people who know their stuff making these moves that I'd be like wow yeah i went in peaks and troughs playing with my mates where like i dominated for ages and then like a new person comes in and then they win a lot for like a couple of weeks and it's because one i don't have a read on them at all but also they don't have a read on me so there's people started playing against me or like uh, luke kempner wins a lot as well he's an impressionist well, it's easy if you're an impressionist, isn't it? You can just pretend. Be someone else. <laughs> exactly. Be someone with a good hand. Um, but people played for a while conservatively against us because they thought those guys know what they're doing because they always win. Mm. right? Whereas when a new person comes in, they've got no idea about your reputation. So they just play recklessly. And also they're just having a laugh. Yeah. So I'm then furious after things going, why the hell did you possibly call that? There's no way <laughs> the odds of you hitting your card on the end are literally like, one percent whereas i'm already got this hand locked up basically and then they do hit the card they're just like 
well, I called it because I might hit the card and whatever. Who cares? Yeah. And I'm like, oh, yeah, of course. This isn't a world championship. No, quite. This doesn't matter. That's exactly my wife's method. And she always wins. So I should think in our yeah. lifetime, my wife has played poker five or six times. She always cleans everybody out because she just doesn't care. She's completely reckless. Yeah, it's just the fearlessness. You can't read whether she's got it or not got it. You have no idea because she's as reckless either way. Yeah, there's a couple of people in the group who played like that and that did not that did not bear fruit eventually. No. So that doesn't pay off every time. But I think in a, when you're playing live, if you're playing in person, that's much more useful to be that fearless, reckless player. Online, it's like a bit more... <laughs> yes. You know, also, the more you drink, the more you become that player anyway. Oh, I know. That's me. Well, I'm also doing that. So, yes, cool. King high. I'm all in. <laughs> yeah, well, I love that. No, that's, what, that's how to play. That's how to play. But that's why I want a deck of cards in there, because you can do anything with a deck of cards. So you've got to take a deck of cards with you wherever you go. It doesn't have to be poker. You can play any game with a deck of cards or you can just build a house with a deck of cards. I would always want a deck of cards, I think, if I was putting it in the ground. I mean, what's the purpose of putting it in the ground? Just time capsule it just so that someone finds it in years to come? Well, it could be that or it could be keeping it safe for yourself. Well, I think it benefits me in both ways because I think I'd like to know where there's a deck of cards at all times for mm-hmm. myself, for moments of boredom. I'd also like someone to find together a tennis racket, tennis ball and deck of cards and think... <laughs> Oh my God, how do we possibly work out what this was? <laughs> what was he doing? This guy's a genius. Whoever made this up is an absolute renegade. Must have been brilliant yeah. fun. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the, the one. Okay, they both go into the time capsule. So that's your first items. Yes. Right, what's your second? Well, it's not really an item, this, but uh, as you can see, I'm speaking to you from inside this wooden building, which is my shed. Now, I recently moved house, and the main reason I wanted this house is because it has this shed at the bottom of the garden, this kind of outhouse shed. The guy who lived here before me was a cinematographer. He would use this room to edit, and it's massive. Look, I'll sh- well, for a shed, it's massive. I'll show, you, I'll show you around quickly. There's not a man listening who's not interested to find out how large your shed is. Okay, so if you look around, right, so it goes around here, <gasps> right, and there's an armchair over oh, there. wow. A television. Well, that looks like a TV. That's actually a radiator. <laughs> um, so there's like framed things there and then it just comes around and it goes up here like that and there's like skylights. Can he make it himself? I think so, yeah. And then on, on this wall, soon that dartboard will be up on this wall, but I haven't got around to it yet. This is just the beginning because I've not lived here long and this is just the way that I've done it at the moment. But yeah, so you've got plants in here. You've got a shelf with some trophies on. We'll get to that. We've got a framed thing over there, which I'll go and get to show you, which is quite important. We've got this armchair. And I write in here, and I'm on this. I'm on a massive desk as well. It's like the biggest single desk I've seen, because when I looked around this place, this guy had such a huge desk, and I thought, well, that's ridiculous. You'd never need that. And as soon as I got in here, I bought a normal-sized desk and put it in here, and it looked ridiculous, <laughs> because this place is so spacious, and it's basically just for a sort of desk. <laughs> it looked so stupid to have a tiny desk and then just nothing else. So I got a massive one and it's absolutely life-changing having an enormous desk like i can't tell you it's so good i've got like an extra couple of monitors yeah like i just the reason it's significant to me is one it also from the outside it's corrugated black iron right it's the outside so it looks inside kind of like something from twin peaks i mean it's really wooden i mean there's pictures of it all over my twitter if you want to see what it looks like because it was that I, I recorded a radio show in here for radio 4 recently i recorded the whole thing in here three half hour episodes it was me doing a sort of character and a lot of monologue stuff, like gaggy monologue stuff, but also edits that took hours and hours and hours. Mm. And I would just sit on Zoom with my producer 
There was one day where it sat there from 9am until 3am the next day, just on Zoom, just going back into the house to urinate. Mm. And that was it. And just like a pick and collect deliveroos. That was the whole thing. <laughs> and then just come back out to the shed and then just, just sitting here, just, and then just like re-recording little bits. So just every, you know, a few minutes, I just go, okay, yeah, I'll just redo that line. And I would just record it here. And then he just put it in and just listening to him edit. And it's like a completely unique experience that wouldn't be possible, one, without a lockdown, which I'm not saying makes the pandemic good. It would have been easy to do this all in studio, but we wouldn't have been able to make this show the way we did. And two, wouldn't have been possible if I hadn't moved. And so the shed really just represents all work to me now. I mean, I'm back on tour and still it's just like, no, I I can really... There's something psychological about leaving your house to work. Mm. Whenever possible, if I'm writing, I go to an office to write rather than just doing it in a spare room or something because putting on shoes and leaving the house is just indicative to me of <laughs> productivity. And I think putting on minimum Crocs and walking to my <laughs> shed is the same thing. I mean, Crocs don't help that much, actually. If I put on a pair of shoes and walk out here, then I'm just like, well, I'm in a zone. There's no purpose of being here unless I'm working. So I'm only going to work. Whereas when you're in the house, it's just like, well, I've got an Xbox there. It's very true. My most productive time. I wouldn't call myself a writer, but there was a period where I was a writer and I wrote quite a lot. That was because I got hired by a television company to come up right. with ideas. And I said, yeah, all right, okay, if you want me to. And they said, okay, we'll get you an office. So I, I had an office in Golden Square in London. Wow. Near Carnaby Street. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I'd arrange to talk to someone and we're going to have some ideas together. So we would just go to lunch. And it was on expenses. Yeah, of course. Well, that's the way it's all done, isn't it? What a happy life. Claiming back lunches, being paid for lunches. Oh, it's incredible. There is such a thing as a free lunch if you just are a comedy writer. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. all you have to do. Become a comedy writer and you will get paid for lunch all the time. Yeah, I mean, so when I write, I write with Adam Hess, the guy who is the best poker bluffer and worst poker bluffer in the world. Mm. I write with him and he sits in this armchair and I sit here. I mean, it's just like such a good system. Soon there will be a sofa in here as well, I think. Um, I've got plans all sorts of plans for what to do with this. I need more pictures up. But so I'll just go and grab this. I'll be back in a second. I'll okay. just show you what this is. This yeah. is this big frame thing. Right. So. <laughs> okay. So, right. This is a thing. It's five colours, five coloured strips. Mm. It's kind of like royal blueish, like a light pinky red. There's like a minty sort of colour, like a mm -hmm. turquoisey, tealy one. Uh, then there's purple. And then there's like a dark teal. Yeah. These are all the different background colours of the posters of all the solo shows I've done. Oh. Um, just put into strip form. And along the bottom, it says the years. So 2014, 2015, 2016, 2017, 2019. Yeah. It was one year. I didn't do 2018. And at the top, the text is the titles of the show, which is Begins, Remains, Forgives, Wise Boy and Snitch. Snitch <sighs> is the tour I'm currently on. And my brother made this for me. And it's in a big white frame. Mm. Made this for me uh, for my 30th birthday. Brilliant. Oh, I just like, I'm so happy with it. It's so good. And I'm so glad that my face isn't in it because everyone was like, aren't you going to put your posters up? You know, because I was like, well, what do I put on the wall of this shed? And people say like, oh, why don't you put your posters up? You've done loads of shows. And I was like, no, no, I don't want my face all over the wall. Are you mad? I'm a, I know I'm a narcissist, but not to that extent. And so this was the perfect way to represent it, I think, which is I'm going to understand what this is when I look at it. And I don't need anyone else to understand it. No. And then once you look at it and if you know any of my stuff, you'd go, oh, clearly it's that. But I could have just had the colours, to be honest, and I'd have been like, yeah. what a subtle way of doing that. But that, it's in the shed, so I'm just going to include it in shed. But if I wasn't allowed to put the shed in, I would just put this in. Yeah. 
And of course, the great thing is that if you put pictures up of past triumphs, you're under the pressure always of going, oh God, that was a great show. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that was perfect, that one. And they loved that show. And I've got to write yeah. another one now. If I go through this in order, I'll be entirely honest now, just before I put the picture back, mm. we'll go through it in order. And, you know, you can look up the picture as I go through this, if you're listening, and you can understand what I mean. Okay. okay. So I'm going to go through from, from the first one. Um, great show. Brilliant show. Okay. Bad, good. <laughs> but 2017, bad show. The current one, I will look back on and go, that was a great show, because I'm doing it right now. It's, it's yeah. only good. I like the idea of coming back to your shed in, I don't know, 35 years' time. Yeah. Then I look forward to almost every colour being represented around the wall. Yeah, yeah, of course. Well, I've got to keep doing different colours, haven't I now? So, yeah. Oh, God. Oh, God. But this is back in the days, at least. So this will at least happen less. This is back in the days when I would do a new solo show every year because mm. I was going to the Edinburgh Fringe and doing one every year and I think yeah. those days are done I don't think I'll do that anymore because I'm now touring them and I wasn't before because I was sort of green and brand new and you're just trying to build an audience yeah. um, it means that the tour takes too long it takes longer than a year certainly this tour which has taken far longer than a year because <laughs> it was the cut 2019 <laughs> tour halfway yeah. through <laughs> yeah um, but because I've got to do that I'll never be able to write a show and take that new show to, to Edinburgh the next year so the colours will suddenly get slower you could have a wider strip. Yeah, maybe I'll do horizontal stripes in future. I don't know. Who knows? 40th <laughs> birthday present from my brother. That's what it will be. Fantastic. The next five. <laughs> yeah, so that's the shed. The shed's going in there. And also this shed would just look fantastic underground, frankly. It feels like a bunker as it is. <laughs> With the corrugated metal outside. Yeah, exactly. And thank God you've got your brother there. He's tall enough to put it on the wall for you. <laughs> I'm very, very envious of your shed. I'd love to have a shed like that. Genuinely, this guy just built it. It's all pallets and stuff. He just built mm. it. The only thing that I did, when I got here, the floor was pretty messed up from being walked on for ages and soot. Mm. And uh, all I did was he had two bits of slate that the log burner on and just like I just got a crowbar and got rid of them. It's like the, the most masculine thing I've ever done is just like crowbarring <laughs> these big bits of slate out that took ages. And I made sure to do it topless so I felt extra masculine, as long as I couldn't see myself. And then, <laughs> well, I was playing poker at the time. You go straight from that to the game. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Look at me, guys. I'm not only am I topless, but I'm sweaty. Reese, <laughs> <laughs> I love the speed of your brain. You know, I just twitched a minute ago and you knew that I was going to jump in on the topless joke. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, sorry, I... I didn't mean to take it away from you. No, no, but no. I, uh, it's I, an experience in comedy that I always enjoy. A bunch of people who are used to making jokes and all jumped for the... Oh, I, I can see one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I said topless. I said topless earlier. I could, I could connect that. <laughs> yeah, it was exactly that. Yep, absolutely. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> all right, your gorgeous shed goes into the time capsule. That's two items. So what's next? Right, we will be back with Reese very soon, but we have to take a short break here to allow the podcast provider you're listening to the opportunity to play some ads, which will hopefully earn us some money. See you in a sec. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. 
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Welcome back. Okie dokie. Let's hear what else Reese James wants to lock in his time capsule. How do people represent animals on this show? I know that Lee Mack put in a picture of his dog or something like yeah, that. Yeah, because he didn't want to put the actual dog in. Some people have put in dogs, but quite often they're putting in animals that have um, passed over, as it were. Yeah, I don't want to bury my alive cats. No. But uh, <laughs> but um, I suppose I'll put the concept of my cats into... Mm. Uh, I'll put the metaphysical idea, which I'm surprised Lee Mack didn't do as a Buddhist... I'll put the um, <laughs> I'll put the, the the concept of my cats in here. Now they're my parents' cats, really, but we got them when I lived there. Yeah, and these aren't childhood cats. I was twenty one, and I lived there still. I think I lived there for another year where the cats were kittens, and then I would go back all the time and look after them when they would go away and stuff. Maybe I was a bit younger than that, but anyway, they are called Boston and Benoit Asuakoto. <laughs> now he. For those of you who don't know, I used to play left back for Tottenham Hotspur mm-hmm. and I was in charge of naming the cats. <laughs> so I named them Benoit Asuakoto. Full name is Benoit Asuakoto Jones because my real surname is Jones. James is a stage name. It's all a lie. It's all a lie. I don't even have a shed. And Boston was, oh, because I jokingly kept calling people boss that year as in like like I was doing like a geezer thing socially where I'll go, you're right, boss. And, uh, and I was like, I want to call a cat boss because it'll be a kitten. It'll be funny to call it a boss. And then it was negotiated to be Boston as I think maybe like we were in America at the time. We were in New York on a family holiday. When I turned 21, we went to New York. And I think because I said boss, it was like, yeah, if we full name Boston because that's the first place we ever went in America. Once again, back to this middle class upbringing. Um, <laughs> Wimbledon in America, baby. Yeah, But not Miami. You went to Boston. We went to Boston, it's yeah, exactly. Very lovely, lovely. <laughs> yeah, I know. Let's go to New England. Picket fences yeah, and universities. Yeah. That's marvellous. <laughs> and homophobia. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I was tiny. I would have been five or something when we went there. But um, there's all these pictures of me, my dad and brother in matching bomber jackets, uh, looking like absolute ballers. <laughs> um, but I just love those cats. I raised those cats. Uh, the room I had at my parents' house has a skylight not that different to this shed, which obviously means the window is at an angle. And the cats could not be trained to come back in through the cat flap. They just wouldn't do it. They would go out of the cat flap. And the way they would come back in is they would just come to that skylight where I would be asleep at all hours and just meow at the window. <laughs> and I would always get up and let them in. And then Boston went missing for 
two weeks or whatever, and obviously returned. Because he went missing, he was given a collar that had a tag on it. Mm. And uh, what he realised after a while of me ignoring the meowing, the best way would be to smash the metal tag into the window <laughs> repeatedly. So he would just lower his head. So it's just making this very loud tapping noise on the window until I would let him in. So actually, you know what? I'll put that collar in there. <laughs> yeah. I'll put the collar in there to represent Because he doesn't wear the collar anymore. We got rid of it because he doesn't go missing anymore. Cats are bright. Yeah, they, I mean, they really figured it out. They really sussed out what they need to do. I had a cat that knocked on the door. Do the knocker? It stretched right up and would knock it with its paw and knock the knocker, yeah. No way. Mm. Oh, my God, that's so cool. They're so smart. It's great, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, I miss those cats because I don't live with those cats anymore. I miss them mm. all the time. They are so good for de-stressing. I think that scientifically is proven about animals. Yeah. Maybe because you get so focused on telling animals to not do things that you forget that you're worried about a mortgage payment or something. <laughs> but it's probably the only thing I will actually be mm. earnest about and sentimental about is that I just is I really love those cats. I don't really even have any like anecdotes to tell off the back of this, which is quite rare that I wouldn't just pick something where I go, and then I can do this bit. But I just love those cats. The only thing is that really early on when having those cats, I bumped into Boston on a road that isn't the road we lived on. And it was the most shocking thing in the world when that happened. When you see your cat out of context, it was crazy the first time. I'd only ever seen him in my house or in my garden. Yeah. And then he was on a road, like, round the, down the block, like, a, a while away, a few roads away. And I was like, what are you doing here? He's trying to pretend it's not him. It's not me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm a neighbour's cat that looks just like me. Yeah, just avoiding eye contact with me, just going, oh, God, oh, God. Shit. Like, I've caught him having an affair. But I was walking home from a night out. Well, he, so was he. He got a shag. Yeah, I was walking home alone with a kebab. Um, and I had to really, because I was like, kind of couldn't really see straight. I had to really focus on it being him. And I genuinely did. I remember picking him up and I thought the only light is a lamppost. So I picked him up and then like Rafiki on Pride Rock, <laughs> holding up Simbra, I picked him up and held him up to a, a lamppost. But he was backlit. Because it's a lamppost, so he looked like Batman. He's suddenly just a silhouette, and it's just a cat, isn't it? So I was just like, oh, that hasn't helped. So I kind of tried to turn around. And then I just thought, I think it's him, but he's a tabby cat. So obviously there's loads of cats who look like that. Mm. And then I thought, I think it's him. In fact, he let you pick him up. Yeah, exactly. He didn't claw me to death. And actually, this is a cat who doesn't even like that, so it was suspicious. Then he followed me home, so I was like, well, it must be him. And when I got home, there wasn't another cat that looked just like him sat there going... (laughs) Who the hell do you think you just brought home? I can smell the other cat on you. I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You, yeah. hussy. <laughs> <laughs> Could be the kebab. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that's it. But I'd like, yeah, I just want to represent those cats in some way. Lovely. Even though they represent the eternal life of pain that you've chosen for yourself by supporting Tottenham. Yeah, I know. I didn't choose that for myself, actually. That was chosen for me by my father. But uh, yeah, I, was, I can just resent him quietly for that. That's why he's not in this. <laughs> I have a grandson that supports Tottenham, out of choice. Was this in like 2016, something like that, when he chose, when Tottenham were really good? Yeah, I think you're probably Didn't win right. anything, but we're like a very exciting team to watch. Yep. Harry Kane, mm-hmm. Pochettino, yep. Ericsson, players like this, Deli Ali was thriving. Was this that era of just, yes, absolutely. oh my God, Spurs are about to be the best team. Oh no, they're actually the worst. <laughs> Everything's gone wrong. Oh dear. Oh, I remember it well. A lot of nearlies. I've had a season ticket to Tottenham for 20 years and I've watched us... Well, I've watched us finish 11th consistently. I've then watched us get up to being a team who finishes fifth consistently mm-hmm. and be really happy with that and then become absolutely furious when we finish second. <laughs> so, you know, never get into sport. No. Never get into uh, it. No, no. What an but- awful, emotional, horrible 
turmoil. Tennis said it's down to you and you win or you lose <laughs> and you take responsibility for it. Yeah. Exactly. Watch me versus my brother at tennis unless I'm losing and then turn over. <laughs> you can watch that televised game and all other sports. Because we know it's going to end in tears. <laughs> that said, my next item is literally, I mean, I'm going to show you what my next item is okay, now. Okay, let's I, move there's, on. Yeah. There's no point teeing it up without <laughs> me just going from this conversation to just showing you this, okay. which is <laughs> a... <laughs> <laughs> I'm literally holding a replica Premier League trophy right now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> something Tottenham will never say. Well, a replica, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They'll get, get their hands on this small miniature replica. Oh. Um, so that's what all those trophies are on that shelf in my shed. So one thing I am also good at, clearly, is fantasy football. Now, I know this is instantly the most boring thing in the world to loads of people listening, but let me explain. <laughs> yeah, do. My family, which has now expanded to some friends as well, there's always been about 10 teams in it, do what is known as a fantasy football draft, which is where you have an actual auction amongst us because one player can only be bought by one team. It's not like normal fantasy football where, say, Harry Kane and Mohamed Salah play for everyone Mm -hmm. because everyone knows they're going to get me the most points, so I need them. Harry Kane, if you bid 50 million, you are the sole owner of Harry Kane, for example. Depends on when the bidding stops. You know, sometimes you can get discounts if you wait late and like, say, Sadio Mane hasn't been bought by anyone yet and you can get pick him up for 10 million and it's an absolute <laughs> steal. Now, this makes it far, far more competitive. The day, the auction day is always the best day of the year. It's always the most fun day. Of the year. It's a big barbecue at one of our houses, usually my dad or my uncle's house. They're um, boomers who have the boomer kind of homes yes. that you, is required for housing this many people for a barbecue. Um, <laughs> that is always the best day. The auction's always so fun. People come in with a game plan there's also different stages to it so there's a sealed bids process beforehand where there's certain players get nominated and you have to come with literally an envelope where you've done a bid you can't change and if you win you have to take the player then there's like players just get shouted out and nominated there's a few free picks of like leftover players to just fill out your squad and then there's transfers throughout the season you can't transfer between clubs only if someone gets put back in the pool can you buy them but you know when there's a transfer window for example and gareth bale came into the league And obviously my family are all Tottenham fans, so everyone's going mental. (laughs) So there are a few Arsenal fans in the group who are friends who now are just like, oh, I just watch every year as all you Spurs fans just overspend on every Tottenham player. (laughs) And then you just pick up discounts from everyone else. But this guy who says that has come last for the last three years in a row. And what's significant about it is that I have come first for the last three years in a row. Now, until last year, no one had ever won it consecutive years ever. So I did two in a row. And that meant I'd won it three times overall, which already was the most. Mm. So there's there was three managers who'd won it twice, me obviously being one of them, my dad being another, and this Arsenal fan, Matt, being the other. And then I won it again to be the first person to win it consecutive years, which is already a feat in itself. Mm. And then I won it again this year <laughs> as well. And I'm like, well, how can we possibly... And now everyone else has had a vote to change the rules. Oh. That's how good I am at the game. <laughs> They've had a committee meeting and gone, we're going to change the whole system now. We're going to do it like this because it's too boring. It's not boring. It's just some people know what they're doing and some don't. Okay, (laughs) It's not boring. It's boring if you're rubbish. If you're bad at the auction, you don't sign well. But it makes me so proud. I don't know why it makes me so proud. I mean, it's pathetic, really. I do understand fantasy football is pathetic. But the fact that it's like the consistency with which I am dominating this. Do you feel like Fergie? Oh, yeah, at least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I feel... I mean, to be honest, the way in which I've been bragging and holding up my fingers in that three, I feel like Mourinho. Um, really just going like, so holding my hand up to my ear, just going like, come on, as everyone just 
my family all just boo me because they hate me. But, uh, <laughs> but my name is on this trophy. Three, it's literally engraved. That's the trophy that gets passed around, is it? You get an individual trophy. Well, it doesn't get passed around, no. Michael, of course. It stays in my shed because I win it every year. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> you know, there's rumours. The, the owners of this shed are making a statue of me, apparently. Apparently. But, uh, yeah. yeah, you get this. Uh, you get this. This is the one that gets passed around, but you also get an individual one that's much smaller that isn't a Premier League one, just a normal trophy. Mm. So I've got a bunch of those from previous years and there's little kind of like plaque ones you get as well. There's other tournaments that happen which are like little head-to-head throughout the year and then it's all done again through this website and there's other ones that are like the FA Cup. So just like how your players perform in the FA Cup. And my brother just wins that every year because he just plays for that. <laughs> so he, every year he realises he can't win the league and he just goes, okay, I'll just buy all the players who are still in that. And then he always wins it. Yeah. But um, So there's other trophies, yeah. But I am the most decorated manager in that. And I'm not a maniac who spends all his time looking stuff up, going, okay, well, his expected goals and his shot conversion ratio is this, so I need to sign him. I like to leave it as it is for a while mm. without injuries, but I occasionally spot an opportunity and I seem to get that right more often than not. And it seems to win me the league. If you do it entirely on, on statistics, those are always going to let you down, I think. Because exactly. the moment you say this person always scores. Perfect example. I signed Ian Acho and everyone went, why have you signed him? And I signed him because I saw one tweet. I happened to see one tweet that said he's having more shots at the moment than Vardy. Ah. And I was like, well, I need a striker. And there's no one really available. I, yeah, I'll just take a punt on him. Got him for free because no one else bid. And then he went and won me the league, effectively. Oh, God, this sounds fantastic, this thing. It's so much fun. And there was one where I had both Laporte and Vincent Company for Man City. And really near the end of the season, when City won the league, the second last game, I was in a title race. And then Laporte passed it to Vincent Company. And Vincent Company scored that 40-yard screamer, <laughs> oh, yeah. where even his own players were saying, don't shoot. So I got the assist <laughs> and the goal from two centre-backs. My team is always called a two-word phrase. Every year it's called a two-word phrase. So it's been called damp squib. It's been called false economy. It's been called also panic stations. But it's the team, if I win the league, the team name stays the same, which means for three years and going into a fourth year, my team that's never been defeated is Wet Blanket. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> so Wet Blanket are the champions again. Oh, fantastic. All right, I'm going to put that, just that trophy, that'll be enough, won't it? Yeah, I'll just take that one. That's the main one that matters, yeah. Mm. And that means no one else can get it. No, indeed, it's yours now. I mean, a bit like Brazil winning the World Cup three times, I think that maybe they should retire that trophy and just say, that's it. Yeah. It's yours now. I'd be happy if we retired this trophy. Okay, right. That's in there. So that's four lovely things. Right. So we need one more thing, but we need something that you want to get rid of. This, as I said before, the difficulty here is picking one. There's loads of things. (laughs) I considered every time someone has said to me, oh, I saw you on this. And I've said, thanks, as if they've (laughs) given me a compliment in any way. Um, That happens more than you think. I considered Facebook, putting Facebook, which I think ruined the world, has wasted so much of my time, everyone's time, has changed the shape of politics forever in a really bad way, etc. But then I was like, ah, oh, let's not get into that, that's boring. And then I thought about, I mean, I am someone who, I had my pants pulled down at school in front of my class, and I'm not putting that moment in this, because wow. if, I, if that didn't happen, I would not be a comedian. Uh, a combination of being embarrassed in front of everybody and being shorter yeah. than everybody and therefore needing to stand out. And crucially, I got a really big laugh when that happened. Yeah. Laugh. Okay, well, you know, okay. <laughs> try and do that on my terms for 20 years. <laughs> um, so that's not going in there. I've considered all of it. Um, it's a toss-up right now between Valentine's Day... <laughs> and I say that as someone who has been in a happy relationship for eight years 
or and my neighbours, <laughs> or maybe just the concept of neighbours. My neighbours on both sides are an absolute nightmare. <laughs> I think I'll go for my neighbours. Um, so basically, on one side, <laughs> so I've, I've, we've moved into this house, and I love the house. I've got the shed. The shed is not entirely soundproof, but it's close. But my neighbours on either side are on one side. They run a home daycare from their house, mm-hmm. which I didn't know about, and obviously is a <laughs> fucking disaster. Um, and it's pretty noisy all the time. A lot of screaming children constantly. But they also seem to... I, I don't know what the wall situation is of this sort of block that I'm in, but it vibrates through the wall so much when they are chopping vegetables. <laughs> but I can, he- I can hear that. I can, If I'm going to bed, I can hear that. The other day, right, the, I, the other day something happened that I think is the worst thing that can happen to a person, which is I went to bed and you know that little noise a smoke alarm makes when it needs its batteries changing, which is just that annoying like, dick, yeah. that like, that like blinking, just beep, yeah. beep, and it just happens. And then you spend ages trying to find batteries for it, ages trying to figure out how to do it because it's just the most annoying noise possible. So I got up out of bed. It was like 2 a.m. I'd been working or whatever. I was knackered. That noise started happening. I got up out of bed, went around looking for the smoke alarm, found it. It did not need its batteries changing, but I just took the batteries out anyway, (laughs) which I find is, it is counterproductive, isn't it? Because whenever this happens, that noise is always happening and it's always so annoying that rather than replacing the batteries, you just go, well, throw this in the bin forever. (laughs) So this never happens again. I just think instead of, it's supposed to alert me, you are in danger of your smoke alarm not working. And my solution is I won't have a smoke alarm then. So how is that possibly helping me not die? (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) I I looked for it for ages, found it, and it wasn't that. Went back in bed and realised it was my neighbour's smoke alarm that I could hear through the wall, right? Which is insane, which must be literally in the room next to the room I was in. It must be on the wall, effectively, Mm. which or like by the bedside. And it wasn't waking this person up and they weren't doing anything about it. And I was like, you can't knock on someone's door at 2am saying, do you mind changing the batteries in your smoke alarm? Because that's insane. (laughs) So I had to just listen as my neighbour's smoke, the most annoying noise in the world just happens over and over again while I try to get to sleep. I genuinely was like, this is a sketch in a show I wouldn't believe. Yeah. This is something that sounds absolutely impossible. If this happened in a sitcom, I'd be like, ridiculous, doesn't that? Can't, you can't hear that for a wall. That's insane. On the other side um, are a bunch of um, Italian hip-hop fans who are also Deliveroo drivers. I know that because they've got... Or they're either Deliveroo drivers, right? Or they're massive Deliveroo fans who've bought all the merchandise. <laughs> but I don't know for sure, but they're wearing the jackets a lot. Can you do that? I don't, I don't know, but they love the jackets is all I'll say. And the backpacks. But they... Um, <laughs> what an extraordinary fashion choice that would be. I know, yeah. Do you work for Deliveroo? No. What makes you think that? Well, just the fact you've got that big square backpack on your back. Do you know... We might be onto something here, actually, Michael. We might actually have just invented the next London Fashion Week. I mean, this could be huge. We suddenly start selling the Deliveroo jackets. Yes. This, people start wearing them, ironically. This would be massive. <laughs> <laughs> so, you never know. So they play Italian hip-hop all the time, do they? They play Italian hip-hop very loud all the time. And the other day they were playing this song over and over again that was going something along the lines of, and I apologise for any Italians listening if this isn't the right words, but it was like, uh, what I remembered was it was going, Tridari mai, Tridari mai, Tridari mai. So I googled the phrase, if it was Tridari mai, and it meant, uh, if you ever betray me, which has made me too scared to ask them to turn it down. <laughs> I mean, my head ending up in a delivery box would be absolutely not out of the That's question. That's what it's for. That's what it's for. It's if you ever betray me. I'm delivering this. <laughs> <laughs> so here's why it gets bad is that 
I presume everyone's a bit like this where like, so I get very angry at stuff like that, but I don't do anything about it. So then it builds, mm. um, presumably into an eventual tumor, but it builds and builds and I just get really angry. And then eventually I sort of will snap and do something. And then if I'm wrong in that moment, it's the worst thing possible. So uh. they often play hip hop outside as well in their garden. And that's why I can hear it so much. Mm. Um, but they were playing saxophone. They were like practicing saxophone at like 2 a.m. or something like that <laughs> through the wall. I hadn't gone to bed yet, but I was just there. And I know my girlfriend throughout the pandemic has maintained full-time employment, whereas I haven't. Mm. So she goes to bed at a normal time. And so I knew oh, she'll be really upset if she wakes up because of this. And they're like, already we've got issues with these neighbours and stuff. This is really annoying. So I went over and I banged on the wall because they were playing uh, saxophone, practising saxophone. And then as I walked back from the wall, I realised that saxophone was coming from my laptop. Oh. I was listening to a Spotify playlist and I had been blindsided by some Jerry Rafferty. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I had effectively just gone over to a wall. Like if that is someone's bedroom on the other side, what they would have heard is just an inexplicable, massive banging on the wall and me being like, um, people are trying to sleep and one of them is you, sweet dreams. <laughs> I mean, I was just, I felt so insane doing that. Oh, when I came back, I was like, oh, I can never, why can I never just have the moral high ground without ruining it? Mm. I was in the right. It is antisocial to be constantly playing betrayal-based Italian hip-hop all the time at full volume. And now I'm the louder neighbour who just banged on their wall out of nowhere. They're on an Italian podcast at the moment. They're talking to people on yeah. a truck. So we've got this crazy neighbour. You bang on the wall every night. Stop at the noise. I mean, it's you making it, mate. <laughs> exactly. That is, I mean, what a lovely Italian accent that was. I like that. That was really good. I mean, oh, I wouldn't have taken the risk of doing that. But listen, you've got the expertise. You know how to do the voices. I, wow. I love that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's how it felt. So I think neighbours are always stressful to me. I think the idea of neighbours, obviously, we all know the phrase, the very lyrical phrase, everybody needs good neighbours. I've never really experienced good neighbours, I don't think. Maybe in the suburbs where my parents live, there's some wonderful neighbours. But I've lived in London all my adult life. And Neighbours wise, it's just basically like they're either absolute strangers or they're possibly just incredibly loud nightmares. Yeah. Um, and it just stresses me out anyway. Like even even neighbours who tried to get to know me during the first lockdown, uh, I lived in a sort of converted Victorian house into three flats and I lived on the top floor. And then my neighbours below invited us round to go like, oh, do you want to, you know, we can't go to the pub or anything. Do you want to come around for a glass of wine? Mm. And because it, it's in the same building, I couldn't decide whether or not I should wear shoes. So I didn't go. I was so stressed about it. I was like, well, do you wear shoes or not? Because it's a different house, but it's the same building. I'm not going outside. Would it be insane to put shoes on, walk down three steps and then take my shoes off? Will I feel so weird doing that? Would it be ruder to just turn up in your socks at someone's house? What do I do? I just said, oh, I feel, I've got COVID. Can't come. <laughs> I feel ill. So oh, I just said no. no. I just didn't. We did, yeah, didn't go. Um, they were really nice guys, but again, the way the building was built, you could just hear everything. So yeah, hear it's very difficult when people have to live in close proximity. You don't suspect really that, in fact, your shed was built first, and then with the leftover pallet, this man has put together a building. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, that's why you can literally hear every single thing. It's because it's just a few slabs of wood and that's it. There's, or at least pop some corrugated iron in between it, for God's sake. Didn't have any of that left over? No, uh, we're on the shed. I'll go, yeah. So I, if I could get rid of all neighbours, if I could just have no neighbours forever, that would be ideal. Okay, you're going to be in the middle of the countryside, miles away from anywhere, and the bloody cows and sheep... They're going to drive you oh, mad. Oh, God. No, no. So this is what okay, so this is what I want. I'm happy for the building to exist as it does, mm-hmm. right? Both sides, my neighbours move out. Okay. That's what I want. They just move out and no one lives there. Okay. That's what I want. Okay. Yeah, I can... Of course, we then get into issues where I get cancelled because, you know, there's a housing crisis, etc. Mm-hmm. But listen... The whole point of this is entirely selfish, okay? <laughs> and, and and I'm actually going to go as far to say, listeners, I might not being, be being 100% serious here. Some of this is for comic effect. Before you start cancelling me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to send a copy to your neighbours, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. Of course. Make sure you get it translated to Italian. <laughs> oh, Reese, I could talk to you all day. I think I have. It's been absolutely fantastic. Thank you, mate. Thanks so much for having me. I want to wait off my mind now. I can put all those things in the ground. They're buried. Anytime you want them, come round. They're in my garden. Okay, my neighbours are in your garden. Okay, best of luck. <laughs> you have been listening to My Time Capsule with me, Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my guest, who's fantastically witty, smart stand-up, I can't recommend enough, Reese James. If you had fun, then why not subscribe to this podcast? Actually, if you've already done that, then please rate the show. And if you've done that, then maybe you could write a short review. And actually, if you've done that, then try downloading the theme tune by Past the Peas Music on Spotify. It's really good. And if you've done all those things, then do you fancy buying the My Time Capsule t-shirt direct from our website? Well, you can't. We haven't got a website yet. And I wouldn't completely rule out the T-shirt, actually. We are rather shameless, as you can see, if you follow us on Twitter, Instagram or Facebook. This was a cast-off production for Acast. The producer was John Fenton Stevens. Thank you very much for listening. And while I'm doing thank yous, thank you to the lovely couple who stopped me in the street in Tunbridge Wells, my hometown, a while back, when I was out with my grandkids, to tell me how much they enjoyed my time capsule. Ha! Sorry, but I was so taken by surprise that I didn't really thank you properly at the time. So here is an official thank you. Thank you. Bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.